Burnout is basically like depression associated with your job almost. You use up all your adrenaline, you use up all of your resources, you completely prevent yourself from healing or resting for so long that it becomes really, really hard to do anything at all. You get really angry, you're exhausted all the time, and eventually you stop being able to perform at all in your job. So I got quite, quite sick. You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Sarah Stockdale. Sarah is the founder and CEO of Grow Class, an online course and community that teaches growth marketing. She's also the author of We Need to Talk About This, a popular blog and newsletter for millennial women. Previously, Sarah spent her career working on early stage technology startups. She grew the largest campus ambassador program in the world at a payment startup called Tilt, which was later acquired by Airbnb. Sarah and I chat about creating community in the online education space, how to apply growth marketing principles to grow a community, burnout, and the dark side of tech. So let's jump right into it. Hey, Sarah, welcome to Create Community. So excited to chat with you today. Thank you so much for having me on. So to jump into it, I always love to get a sense of how my guests actually became community builders. I think we all come from so many interesting walks of life and the way that we get into community building is is always a little bit of a journey. I don't think anybody sets out right away to become a community builder. So something that stands out to me in your early journey is that you grew up in a really small town. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was like and what was the community like there? Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I agree with you that none of us ever kind of thinks about, you know, I'm going to grow up to build communities. But I do think coming from a small town, I grew up in Dorchester, Ontario. So when I grew up there, my high school was 400 people. You know, there was a lot of tractors and all sorts of different farm equipment in the in the parking lot. And there was, I think there were two stoplights in the whole town. So it was pretty small place to grow up and uh, a pretty tight-knit community. So I worked at the local food land and I knew everyone who would come in through the doors. I knew, you know, my friends from school and their siblings and their aunts and uncles and grandparents. It was hard to kind of walk down the street without seeing four or five people that you were connected with in some way. And I didn't think about it too much at the time, but I think it was a really important part of my journey. Um, Just learning that you know, how important community is for anyone, but specifically when you're when you're young and you're impressionable and you kind of need a group of people to help raise you. And I really feel like Dorchester helped raise me in that respect. I love that. That sounds like such a wholesome experience growing up in that way. So after that, you moved to Toronto on your own at a fairly young age. What was that like? Was there like some culture shock coming from such a small town? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, My first three weeks living in, I lived right downtown. So I went to Ryerson for grad school. 
And to be honest, I was pretty naive. Like I was making eye contact with everyone. I was smiling at everyone. I was asking everyone how their day was. And some really weird things happen to you in the city if you do that. And I found myself, you know, very upset over homelessness in Toronto. I would get really emotional pretty regularly over what I was seeing just because honestly, I wasn't used to that kind of lack of community and that lack of connection. And I also didn't know anyone. So I was completely alone. I had none of my friends from school had moved here yet. My school hadn't started. My job hadn't started. So I was very, very much alone. How did you end up like starting to find a sense of belonging? I I know it didn't happen overnight, but how did you start, you know, meeting people and really immersing yourself in the big city and, you know, finding your little space in it and your niche? I credit a lot of that to Jen Gonzalez, who I call my fairy godmother. She was my boss at the time at Ryerson, and we're still friends to this day. She was at my wedding. Like, she'll be in my life forever. And I still remember her kind of walking me around the city, being kind of the first person who acknowledged the feeling of loneliness, but also started to kind of show me ways that I could create my community in the city. And then my my program at school was actually very small. So I think there was only like 22 or 25 of us. And that that felt really comfortable for me. That's awesome. What were you studying at Ryerson? I did my master's of professional communications at Ryerson. Uh, So it was a one-year program. I I moved from Waterloo where I did my undergrad to the city. At the time, I wanted to be a journalist um, and that quickly went away. Can you tell me about George? I feel like that was such a funny story. Oh my gosh. So when I first moved to the city, I didn't know anyone at all. Like, uh, to be honest, like I just, I basically knew my boss and that was it. And I would walk down to Young and Dundas Square and I still, like, I was so new to the city that I found Young and Dundas Square. It felt like Times Square, you know, like you're like looking up at all these lights and these huge billboards and I just wasn't used to it. So I would go to the Eaton Center a lot and I would take transit quite often. And I I started interacting with this man who kind of hung out outside of um, Young and Dundas Square. He was in a wheelchair. You know, we kind of got friendly and we'd chat every time I was in that area. And I found out, you know, that he liked pretzels. So I used to go to the Aunt Annie's kind of in that like little tunnel way before you get on the subway. I used to bring him pretzels when I'd come up from the subway and we'd chat. And it was kind of my first, he was like my first friend in Toronto, to be honest. And uh, and that really helped me feel like at least have someone to connect with, just have like some sort of grounding. Um, so he was really important to me um, until one day. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of mental health crises and residual effects for veterans. And he definitely was experiencing some sort of mental break. But at the time I was young and I didn't really understand what was going on. All I knew was that George didn't recognize me and he wasn't being nice to me. And he actually chased me down the street. I was trying to give him his pretzel and he chased me down the street yelling, you know, some pretty explicit comments at me. And I remember getting back to campus and just bursting into tears just because that had been my connection. And I was worried about him, but I was also, it was kind of, afraid, to be honest, because I had just been chased down the street. At that moment, um, I kind of steeled myself against the city. I, I started wearing headphones everywhere. I stopped having spontaneous conversations with folks that I'd meet on the street. I started listening to music everywhere I went. Like I really stopped making eye contact with people. And that really cut off a lot of the potential that I had to create connection in the city. 
Yeah, I can't even imagine like you're such a outgoing, like bubbly person. So I can't even imagine you going through that phase of your life, you know, so shut off to the city. I'm really glad that, you know, once uh, your program started, and you found your mentor and your friend, and you know, you were able to, to really kind of become more yourself again, and, and feel like you're part of something. But I think it, it does kind of take that sort of experience sometimes to really like show you what you actually do need in community. So you studied journalism, but you ended up starting your career in tech. I'm really curious, how did you end up getting into tech and what were some of the challenges and barriers that you faced? So my program was um, professional communications, which kind of led you down a path into kind of marketing and PR, which I thought I was going to do. When I graduated, I was offered a, a job at kind of a big Bay Street PR agency, and that was my plan. And a friend of mine at the time said, you know, I know you're really excited about this this job, but I really want you to be my boss. And her boss at the time was Rob Morin, who's the head of, I think it was communications at the time at Wave. And Wave was 17, 18 people mostly engineers, mostly men at the time. And working at a startup wasn't a thing yet. It hadn't kind of had its day in the sun where it was cool to work at a startup. It was, people were talking about it as, you know, working at a software tech company. And I was like, what is software tech? And then people were like, it's also accounting. And I was like, so it's accounting software tech. Like it just didn't seem sexy at all. But I had this uh, really great conversation with Rob and decided that instead of going to a big Bay Street PR firm where I'd basically be treated as an assistant for the first little period of my career, which there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone has to start somewhere and everyone has to learn. But I was really hungry early days of my career. I really wanted the opportunity to prove myself and to learn. And I thought maybe this, you know, 18 person tiny company will just have more for me to do. They'll just have less people. So they'll they'll give me more things to do. So I took a crappy three-month contract. <laughs> Instead of my big fancy Bay Street job, I just optimized for that opportunity to learn. And then a couple months later, Wave raised a huge round for social capital in San Francisco, and I stayed. I think that's so important. You know, your first sort of like role out of out of university, you really have to find something where you're you're able to make the most impact and really learn as much as you can and wear a lot of different hats. Like I think if you're a person that's very ambitious and really hungry, that that really seems to suit you well. How did you end up finding a sense of belonging in the industry? You mentioned that, you know, when you first joined, that was all men and engineers, and you were coming sort of from, from a totally different education and background and everything. How did you find your place in it? It took me a really long time, but I was really lucky that the, the team at Wave was awesome. Like, I'm still very close friends with a lot of people that were early days there. And I was able to kind of take my, you know, small town student council president, like loves kind of building a sense of family and a sense of belonging. And I, I really was able to kind of flex those muscles kind of outside of my my full-time job, but in my spare time at Wave. So I, got, I organized a ton of tech events. And even though, you know, I didn't see myself represented yet in those communities, I still got to to build them and be part of them. And then eventually I started meeting more people who were like me, people who felt marginalized in tech, women, LGBTQ folks, folks who just weren't very well represented in the industry at the time. And I started to be able to create my own kind of small micro communities. 
of people who were experiencing some of the same things that I was. That's really amazing. I love that. And then tell me how you ended up going over to uh, Tilt and a little bit about your role there. So I actually got uh, contacted by Tilt through Twitter DM. (laughs) (laughs) So don't sleep on the social communities as well. So my future boss, uh, Tim Ryan, knew he was heading up taking Tilt internationally into other countries and had actually been to one of the events that I had planned it wave and had heard me speak about growth. And then that kind of kicked off a 10 interview (laughs) interview process and flying to San Francisco and meeting the team. It was just such a great opportunity. Tilt was about bringing people together to do something collectively. And that really spoke to me. Uh, And I just kind of jumped at the opportunity to build something from scratch. They had no presence in Canada. They hadn't launched yet in Canada. And it was going to be like a team of three of us that were bringing it to the country. And from a growth, like my growth hacker hat, I just thought that was such a cool opportunity to build something from nothing. Um, And my community hat, I was really excited about the power of the platform. The community there is is really incredible. Can you tell me a little bit more about like what that community entailed and you know how did you grow and what are you most proud of in terms of the community aspect of that role? Yeah, so the way that Tilt grew, our lowest cost of acquisition um, growth channel was a campus ambassador program. We ended up, and I'm I'm not sure, Bumble might have us beat, but at the time it was the largest campus ambassador program in the world. And we built that from scratch, basically. I, I called uh, students who I had babysat for, who were in college, to be our first ambassadors and to kind of start this kind of wild experiment that turned into this huge, um, massive global community of college students who are helping bring Tilt to their campuses and to their communities. And honestly, there's there's a science behind it. Like my growth mind goes to, you know, we we had everything mapped out from social graphs. Every time we brought on an ambassador, we knew about how many people they had influence over and we knew what messaging would help them convert. And we knew we knew exactly kind of the levers to pull to bring Tilt to a new campus when it comes to kind of the quant side of growth. But that doesn't work without the community. That doesn't work without a sense of belonging. That doesn't work without folks being aligned with your mission and excited about what you're doing and really getting behind uh, the company and the mission and the personalities that were building this program. So it was it was kind of um, half science, half growth marketer science, but it, it, the only way that that works is building that sense of belonging on college campuses with students. And really what they were looking for was, I want to belong to a community that means something. I want to have access to professionals who can help me break into tech, who can help me build my career and my network. And then they just wanted to connect to each other. What is Tilt for anybody who's maybe not familiar? And, and it was later acquired by Airbnb, right? So it was a, a tech company. We we were acquired by Airbnb in 2017, but previous to that, it was basically just a way to collect and raise money with your friends. So you could pool money to throw a party, or you could send money to your friend who owed you for an internet bill. It was basically if Interact eTransfer was global and uh, had the ability to kind of collect money in a pool as well. That's super cool. 
So I think with a career in tech, I think from the outside, it could look so glamorous and it could be so exciting. But I think there's definitely a little bit of a dark side to it or, or you know, just like a low time to it as well. Can you take me through some of the lows of your careers? And, you know, when did you realize that burnout was was a serious issue? Yeah. So one of the things and you you kind of put it perfectly, there's a bit of a dark side to working at these like. VC funded high growth tech startups, which is you end up working with your blood, sweat, tears, Saturdays, evenings, 4am, like you do really live that company for the period of time that you work there. And for me, now I believe that that's not a sustainable or healthy way to build a career because there is a crash. And for me, my crash kind of started at the tail end of 2016, around the time of the election, I think they coincided pretty closely because I was also experiencing some kind of social personal burnout from, you know, Trump being elected. <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't actually recognize the signs of burnout when I started to get really sick. Um, I just thought that I was tired. I thought that I was, you know, just getting sick a lot because I was, I was experiencing quite a bit of illness as well. And then I thought maybe I'm depressed, like I was struggling to get out of bed in the morning. And what I realized is like burnout is basically like depression associated with your job almost. You use up all your adrenaline, you use up all of your resources, you completely prevent yourself from healing or resting for so long that it becomes really, really hard to do anything at all. You get really angry, you're exhausted all the time, and eventually you stop being able to perform at all in your job. So I got quite, quite sick and realized that I needed to make a pretty drastic change in my life in order to heal. So I did end up leaving Tilt. I didn't accept a position at Airbnb when it was acquired. And I started my own thing, mostly with the goal of just healing my body and my mind from five or six straight years of sprinting at tech startups. It's so tough looking back on it, but I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty common thing that that happens in tech, especially and especially with people that are very type A and very driven. Um, I've definitely gone through that experience myself, too, and it's not easy. And, you know, just through running Fuck Up Nights Toronto, I think something that I've learned is that, you know, the, the more successful somebody looks through their highlight reel on their Instagram, on their LinkedIn the more struggles they're often going through because it, it takes a lot to actually, you know, like drive yourself to the top of your field or, or to the top of your your industry and whatever your business in. And I've really learned that that the most successful people, the most successful companies are actually the ones that are almost like fucking up the most or just like burning themselves out and, you know, taking risks and, and, and kind of like sometimes hiding things that are either failures or, or struggles with their mental health and, and things like that. And I think it's so important to share it and really to give people a realistic look at what that kind of career could look like. So when you decided to leave that role and dive into entrepreneurship, did that happen right away? Or did you take some, some time to kind of just give yourself a break and recover from what happened? So it's funny, I, I wasn't in... I wasn't in a position to like retire from tech. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I knew I had to do something, but I did take a few months. So at the, at the time when I quit, I had started consulting for some friends' businesses and helping them build their growth infrastructure and their strategies. 
And I didn't take on much work. There's quite a bit of demand in this city and and kind of with my friends in San Francisco, but I knew that I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to take on very much. So I worked with a very small handful of companies and helped them build their strategies. And then I also started doing things like going to yoga in the middle of the day and taking myself for lunch with a good book and just restoring my depleted energies. At the time, I was also planning a wedding. So I was, you know, just taking some time to do that and to see friends and to kind of rediscover what I actually enjoy versus what kind of capitalism likes me to enjoy, which is just consistent achievement and success, which wasn't actually making me healthy or happy. Yeah, it's so true. Like sometimes you're, you know, you're chasing this, uh, this outside validation and, you know, the things that you think are going to make you happy when you reach that next promotion, that next, you know, salary raise or whatever it may be, or, you know, that like working for that cool company that looks really amazing on the outside. It's, it's really disheartening sometimes to, you know, like get to that level, get to that thing that you were like so after and then realize that I'm not any happier. I'm actually miserable. (laughs) I spontaneously burst into tears once when I was promoted. I was taken into an office and given a big new mandate to take on a U.S. team. I was given a big financial promotion and a, and a title promotion, and an, I just burst into tears. And my boss at the time was like, this is usually not what happens. Like, this is <laughs> this is the opposite. And I think it was just my body realizing that I was hitting a point of exhaustion that I wasn't going to be able to come back from. And instead of being excited and happy, I was overwhelmed and exhausted. Now looking back on it, you, you could laugh about it and really like understand what the lessons were. But at the time, I'm sure it was it was so difficult and so confusing, you know, <laughs> just being in that moment, I can't even imagine. Yeah, you just uh, honestly, your body knows like your body knows before your mind does. And you just have to look for the signs and listen to your body. And I was ignoring my body and saying yes to a whole bunch of responsibility that I, I had already made myself sick. So let's jump into what you're building with Grow Class. Can you tell me a little bit about what Grow Class is and what inspired you to create it? Yeah, so Grow Class is uh, an eight-week online growth marketing education program and I always say big-ass community. So it basically takes you through everything that you need to know to become a great growth marketer from the foundations, customer psychology, all the way into tactical channels like SEO and Facebook ad optimization. And really, I built it because I was kind of tired of doing it all the time. <laughs> when when I hired my team at Tilt, I trained them from the ground up. They were all right out of university, so fully kind of trained them up. The folks that we found and brought in out of school are now heading up growth at some incredible companies. So the training that we were providing was working. And then when I was consulting, a lot of the companies that we worked for had kind of quote unquote marketing teams, but they're like, I don't know, they're writing blog posts. Like, I don't really know what they're doing. Or they would hire agencies and not really understand the value. So I was kind of doing this one company at a time. I was helping them figure out their growth strategy, figure out the talent part of it, how to hire for it, how to skill up the people on their team. And we were starting to see really great results. And I realized that, you know, the one at a time company approach didn't make as much sense. It was expensive for the companies and it took a long time. And I thought, you know, there's a way that we can create a curriculum that we can build all of our learnings from growing, you know, all of these companies from SaaS to e-commerce. 
we can take all of those learnings, we can build a program, and then we can also build a community around that program so that people feel a little bit less alone when they're trying to build their company or when they, when they start out in their marketing role. I love that, especially the community part, of course. I think that's so important, you know, like when you're learning a new skill and you're part of something like that, I think that could be the piece that's really lacking, you know, being able to connect with your peers and and to really be able to go through the experience together. So for Grow Class, how do you foster a sense of community between the people that are enrolled and how do you make sure that your members connect, learn together and support each other? Yeah, absolutely. We we do it very intentionally because I think if you if you say, you know, we're creating a community and then you just put up a Facebook channel or put up a Slack channel, that's not enough intention. So we have a complete kind of community map where we know at at which points in the program are you going to be feeling the most vulnerable? At which points in the program are you going to be learning something technically challenging that you're going to want more support with? So at the beginning of Grow Class, we ask you to fill out a very detailed and specific goal survey. So we're figuring out, you know, what are you looking for from this experience, but also what value can you bring to the rest of the community? And how do we make sure to pair you with a support community in a really intentional way so that you can help each other so we have a slack channel that is just full of gifts like it's just full of like people celebrating new folks coming in and belonging to grow class and then we also put you in a very intentional support community that you meet with every week as well as hosting live office hours and private events for our members so they end up hiring each other working together like it's it's so cool to see them kind of continue past the eight weeks of grow class and just stay in the community and our you know our alumni are all currently welcoming our new cohort right now, which is just so awesome to see. But it does require a level of thoughtfulness and intentionality, I think, to build a warm and welcoming community that feels, you know, safe and inclusive. How do you like keep that momentum going? Is it like, how often are you starting conversations within that Slack group? Are you moderating a lot of it? Or do you feel like it's kind of getting to a point where, you know, those conversations are are sparked on their own through members? Yeah, at the beginning, it was definitely more of us kind of creating that sense of warmth, trying to really make people feel kind of safe to ask questions. Now we're on our, I think this is our sixth sixth cohort now. So the community is is very much active on its own. Bella and I, who is kind of helping head up community, Bella and I are in there answering questions, helping people, welcoming people. You know, we're still doing a lot of work to make sure that it stays incredibly warm and active and engaged and also to moderate some of those questions and make sure that people are finding the resources that they need through the program. But they're running on their own a lot. We talk about it all the time, how lucky we are that we get to hang out with these students because uh, we we just are so impressed by how how smart and thoughtful and caring they are for each other. And so that is something that I think about a lot. How do we make sure that we're attracting similar people into the future so that we, you know, maintain this sense of inclusivity. We maintain the kind of thoughtfulness and kindness of the people who come into Grow Class. Yeah, that's so important to really like co-create that community and really make sure that it's curated. What are some of the things that you're doing to kind of curate those future members and get the word out about it? So it's actually interesting because from a growth perspective, you know, I'm used to 
a lot, a lot, a lot of hustle and grind when it comes to growth. And for Grow Class, it's been quite organic. So a lot of the people who are alumni of Grow Class refer their friends, their colleagues, and their family in. So they already have connections to each other, which is really great. Like they're celebrating the fact that their friend just joined or their colleague just joined. And I think that's that kind of referral network has been how we've kept the quality of folks so high. Just because alumni are just telling people about it organically for us. And those people tend to be, you know, more of the kind of people we're looking to attract. What do you think makes the community magical? And are there any like success stories that jump to mind? I know you mentioned that the alumni are sometimes hiring people that have just graduated, but is there anything in particular that really stands out and makes you feel really happy? Kind of when we when we have exit interviews with folks, the things that they come in saying that uh, they're looking for are very technical, which is which is what we teach, right? We like teach technical SEO, we teach email marketing, like we do all of the parts of marketing that are are key to your kind of company thriving. But looking at kind of their entrance surveys and their exit surveys just every time makes me so happy because they come in saying, you know, I want to learn technical SEO and they leave saying, man, like I met a best friend or like I like, but most of the testimonials center around the community. Whereas that's not the reason necessarily that they joined the course in the first place. They were looking for a very specific kind of skill set in marketing, which they leave with. But then the thing that the thing that's special is their, their friend and their connection and the new folks that they've met. That's so lovely. Oh my God, I have like the biggest smile on my face right now listening to that. That makes me so happy because it it is all about community and I, I love how people are having that experience. So I want to jump into getting some of your advice for community creators. You know, you've had this incredible career in in growth marketing and you're teaching people. How can community builders apply some of those growth marketing principles to grow their communities? In Grow Class, we have a model that we always talk about, learn, validate, share. So I think when people are growing anything at all, you have to take a really experimental mindset to it. A lot of the folks that I meet in marketing are kind of stuck in the weeds. They're having these long conversations about how do we grow our, you know, X community on X platform. And they come up with all these campaign ideas inside a vacuum and then they try them and none of them work. And really the way that we teach growth marketing is if you have an idea and you can validate a little bit of its validity with some data run an experiment as lean as you possibly can. Don't sit in a boardroom and come up with an entire new way of doing things. Don't build a whole new landing page or website around it. Like, Don't get too far down the path before you've validated that you're going in the right direction. So come up with a minimum viable experiment, run that, and then get as much feedback as you possibly can from your customers. I think folks who have really great communities also have this huge advantage where they know what their customers are feeling. Like when I go into the growth, like I'm basically doing customer interviews all day, every day in a Slack channel because people are constantly talking about, you know, what they're struggling with at work, what they need to learn, what they need help with. And that is just constant feedback for me on where we should go next with grow class what we should be building next so if you're looking to try to figure out how to 
grow your community or what maybe what product you should build next, let that come from your existing community. And if you don't know how to reach people, if you don't know what channels to go after, ask them. <laughs> like go go and have really intentional customer interviews, have really smart conversations. Um, don't just ask them if they're going to use the thing because that's not going to work, but, but use real customer psychology methods to get at some of the the truth as to what your people need and where they hang out. Yeah, absolutely. It's so key to listen to your community and to make sure that you're asking questions in a way where it's not like a leading question where, you know, you're, you're really giving them an opportunity to give their honest answer. And I think the cool thing about the way that community grows is that it really kind of compounds, right? Like it could start off so small, like you can, you can start some like I've heard like interviews or I've done interviews, I should say with, with some of the biggest communities out there. Like I had the, the founder of Startup Grind and, you know, the, their very first event was like, I think he said there's like 10 people or something. And he's like, it was good enough to do again. And now there's like millions of people in this community all over the world. So I love something that you said in your creative mornings talk. And you said that success is a product of the collective. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that and really like what your approach is to, you know, networking and building relationships? Absolutely. I think like from that talk, when I said that, I was specifically talking to this story that we tell about success and this story that, you know, the Mark Zuckerberg, the Steve Jobs, the Elon Musk, and we're like, look at them, look at their brilliance, look at this incredible thing that they made. And when I see those stories, when I see, you know, even TikTok videos just just glamorizing these people, I think of the hundreds and hundreds of people that put their blood, sweat, tears, creativity, knowledge, experience, in some cases, happiness on the line to make that thing real. And we idolize these founders, but those founders, you know, they're, they're just one tiny part of how that business became successful. And we forget that, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum. No great thing is ever built by just one person. So I think we need to reframe our idea of what that means. When we launch every new cohort of Grow Class, this incredible community of people just comes out of the woodwork to support it and to share it and to refer their friends to it. And every time I cry, because I'm just so incredibly grateful for all of these people supporting, you know, all of this hard work that that we're doing that couldn't be possible without that support. It's so true. Like no one is really, you know, like self-made, like everybody has, you know, a community of people that are helping them. And, you know, it's so important to really like recognize that and, and also to kind of share it forward and also to be that that sounding board for others in your community and really to, to support those around you. It's it's so, so key. So I want to jump into your personal community. I think it's so fascinating how community builders uh, navigate through their personal communities outside of the community that they're building for work or for whatever it may be. So can you tell me a little bit about your newsletter? We need to talk about this. Why did you start it and how has it evolved? 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Very similar to the reason why I quit working um, for other people. Around the time that uh, Trump was elected, I just started kind of writing for myself. I needed an outlet. I needed some sort of creative outlet to go through this thing that the world was going through. And uh, I had actually a big push from my I call them frontors, my friend mentors, to to just start showing it to other people. So I, I got up on stage at Creative Mornings. I wasn't speaking that day. Somebody else was, but they do this little thing after where you can go and stand up and tell people what you're working on. And I literally was physically pushed by one of my mentors up onto the stage to say, hey, I'm starting a newsletter. Um, and a whole bunch of people signed up that day. And that kind of forced me to start writing every week um, because I had promised this this tiny little community that I would send them something every week. So it was it was kind of my way of having a deadline to force myself to kind of write things down. And it's kind of blossomed into this really cool community of, you know, women and marginalized people who are just, you know, frustrated with what's going on in the news and who are interested in, you know, personal and professional growth. And so we talk about a whole bunch of different things every week, and I have this really cool kind of private community in my DMs and in my email where I go back and forth and, you know, talk to talk to readers about what they're going through. That's amazing. I mean, I know that I personally really look forward to receiving it every Wednesday. It's so wonderful and so relatable. So we talked quite a bit about burnout and, you know, how you how you came to be burnt out through everything that you're doing now. How are you maintaining a sense of balance and trying to avoid burnout? Oh, man, what is what a good 2020 question. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I tend to learn the same lesson over and over again until it sticks. And I think I'm still learning the burnout lesson. I've changed since my first burnout. I've changed my idea of what success means to me. Because when I was working at tech companies, you know, I thought that a big six-figure salary and a big director title and managing a big team, like I thought these were all achievements that I cared about. And I had to kind of put that down when I when I got sick. And now I realize that those things don't feel good. Like they sound good. They look good on paper. But to me, they don't feel good. So I wanted to create a business that felt good to me, that was actually helping people, that wasn't just about profit. We donate 5% of everything we make. We we give scholarships um, to, to women and marginalized folks who can't afford to come into the program. We, you know, support things that we care about. We're not an anti-capitalist organization. We, we're still absolutely about growth and making money, but we are very much doing it on our own terms and that I'm really proud of. I still work myself too hard. <laughs> like it is still definitely something that I'm trying to learn and you're you're catching me after uh, our last week of enrollment and our first week of classes. So this is specifically a period of time where I've been running pretty fast for the last little while. Absolutely. I think that's what it's about, you know, redefining success and really being able to take control of your life and realizing that, of course, like if you're building something, of course, there's going to be periods where you're hustling and you're you're kind of running yourself a little bit thin. But I think there's more balance in that way as well when you can kind of create it and really like pick when those times are going to be. So what are some communities that you're part of and why are they meaningful to you? So I have a, a kind of 
small group of entrepreneurs that I'm a part of that is probably my favorite kind of micro community that I'm a part of because we are very honest with each other about how hard it is to build our businesses. You know, I had an idea and I immediately went to them for feedback. I've joined a couple of course communities and, you know, I've had I've had mixed experiences, but mostly I've been able to come away from each of them with some great new connection. So I'm still trying to kind of balance that like Zoom burnout with <laughs> wanting to meet new people and wanting to to kind of be involved in new communities. But right now I'm keeping it small. Absolutely. I mean, I also think there's a limit to how many communities you can you can meaningfully contribute to. Like you can be in as many as you want and really like explore things that that kind of cater to different interests and things that you have. But the ones where you know you're meaningfully engaging and you're consistent in them, it has to be a small number. I think. So that, I think that's really awesome that you're intentional in that way. So this is a little bit of a strange question, but I love hearing people's answers to it. How do you choose your people? You know, like the the friends and the people in your life that are closest to you and that you spend the most time with, do you feel like you're um, intentional with how you choose those people? Or is it something a little bit more organic that that kind of happens? It's funny because like the people that I'm still closest with, like my bridal party and my very best friends, like I've known for more than 10 years. I've known all of them since some of them like grade eight, some of them first year of university. And I think it's less of being intentional about the people that I've, you know, that I've chosen and more intentional about figuring out who you grow away from and being really intentional about curating the people that you you still decide to spend time with. I think a lot of the time, especially extroverts, you know, we leave university or we leave our first job with all of these new friends. And as I've gone into my 30s, I've realized that it's really important to listen to yourself and figure out, you know, when I'm around these people, how do I feel after? Do I feel, you know, inspired and connected and held up and supported? Or do I feel drained and exhausted and maybe a little bit um, manipulated or put down? So I think as I've gotten older, it's been less about finding new people. However, I like I have found really great new friends in my 30s and those people are very kind of intentionally chosen. But I think the the big thing for me has been figuring out who my people are and making sure that I'm choosing to spend time with the people that that hold me up and and intentionally choosing not to spend time with the people who don't. I love that. That's so important. And you know, it's it's great that you recognize that. I feel like I've kind of had that that realization as well. And there's definitely been some people that I I don't want to say like cut out of my life, but have like slowly started to phase out. And I, you know, it has to happen at some point if if you want to like have that feeling of positivity in your life, you have to get rid of of anything that's you know causing you to feel not so great. So my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast. What does the word community mean to you? Why is that such a hard question? That's so, that's a really great one. I think belonging and connection is what I come back to when I think about community. So where do I feel like I truly belong is my most authentic, vulnerable self? Where do I go that I don't have to exert energy trying to be something that I'm not? Who are the kinds of people that I can be myself around and they can be themselves around um, and that we can kind of, you know, see each other and maybe that's a little bit woo-woo, but... Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. I love that. That's how I feel about it too. And I think that's such a great definition. Awesome, Sarah. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. This was so much fun as always. Thank you so much for having me. 
I had such a great time chatting with Sarah, and I hope you learned as much as I did from this conversation. You can connect with Sarah and find her newsletter and social handles on her website, sarahstockdale.com, and you can learn more about GrowClass at growclass.co. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off.